Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. Welcome to the 10th season of Heart to Heart with Anna. Our theme this season is Education for Heart Warriors, and we have a great show for you today. Today's show is The Faces of Special Education. Marie O'Donnell is a wife, a veteran early childhood teacher of 22 years, and the mother of her 16-year-old daughter, Anna. Born with complex congenital heart disease, Anna had the three-stage Fontan procedure by the time she was five years old. She has attended public school in her hometown of Hudson, New Hampshire, where she is now finishing her sophomore year in high school. Anna's medical needs were first recorded on a 504 plan. She eventually received an Individualized Education Plan, or IEP, when Anna was diagnosed with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or ADHD. Marie has spent many hours on both sides of the special education meeting table. Whether as a teacher or a mother, each role supports the other. Marie has helped Anna's IEP team write goals that are rigorous and attainable. As a teacher, Marie often shares her personal parenting experiences with her students' parents. She can truly emphasize with the stress of parenting a child with special needs. So welcome back to Heart to Heart with Anna Marie. My longtime listeners may remember you from season two when you were on the show with Don Silverman and Kathy Baker talking about making memories every day. So it's been a while since you've been on the show. Welcome back, Marie. Thanks so much, Anna. It's really great to be back. So let's get started right away and talk about your training as a teacher. Can you tell us what kind of training you received before you started working in early childhood? I obtained my bachelor's degree in early childhood education from Wheelock College in Boston a very long time ago. My goodness, almost 30 years ago. I also had a minor in infant and toddler development. I worked in the field for about five or six years at UNH in their child development center. I worked with toddlers. And then about five years in, I went back and got my master's again at Wheelock. So I ended up with a dual certification with elementary and special education with my master's degree. Okay. And after that, I went into public school. Okay. Wow. So you've had quite an extensive training in early development and also in the care of children with special needs. Absolutely. So did you work with any children who had congenital heart defects before you had Anna? 
It's interesting. I certainly have had thousands of students at this point. And when I first started working out of college at UNH, we had a child in our toddler's room. And, you know, she, it was kind of funny. We knew there was some developmental delay, but we couldn't quite put our finger on it. She had low tone. And I remember her to be really a quiet and kind of a slow moving. And we really had no idea until one day she had an episode where she was very lethargic and we got extremely concerned for her. And when we called the parents, they disclosed that she had a congenital heart defect that they hadn't told us when they enrolled her. So this was 1988. At the time, quite remarkable. They had told us that mom just really wanted her to have a place where she could be normal. Yeah. Well, and as a mom yourself of a child with a heart defect, you can so relate, right? I get that. But then, <laughs> and it really made such an impression on me as a young professional right? about how important it is that we know everything we can because that situation could have gotten really dangerous. Right. As it turned out, she maybe within a year ended up having a pacemaker and oh, wow. really improved after that. But she stuck with me. And it wasn't again until fast forward 15 years until I had another child with a CHD. And when I first met the mom, it was orientation for kindergarten. And all the parents were asking questions about the bus and what do I pack in their snack and mm -hmm. those kind of typical questions. Mm -hmm. And this mom said to me, well, I need to know who do I tell that my daughter takes medicine? And so I started my typical like, oh, well, you can stop in and see the nurse. And then she kind of went on to say she had a heart defect. And I was like, oh, how about we sidebar this conversation? <laughs> and I was like, I, this is something that I want to talk to you more about. You right. Know? But it, it's always rung true for me in my head when I hear one in a hundred, right? Those mm -hmm. are the statistics right. for CHD. But yet I do wonder how many of the hundreds of kids I've known maybe have undetected. Or undisclosed, like that one yes, child or where it was undisclosed until all of a sudden it came out in a conversation. It wasn't like the second parent who came forward immediately and said, so who yes. do I tell this too. And I know from my many years in knowing parents of children with congenital heart defects that this is something that comes up usually every August or September. And new parents will come on and say, I'm putting my child in preschool or kindergarten and I'm not going to say anything because I want my child to be treated normally. And whenever they're in a support group and they make a claim like that, there are always parents like me who step up and say, please don't do that to that teacher. <laughs> right? Or for your child. It's not or for your, for your child. child. Right, right. And I probably, because of that experience early on as a professional, now I probably go way overboard in disclosing things about my own daughter. Yeah. Which she doesn't like. And now that she's a teenager, I'm sure she's starting to be like, mom, because <laughs> yeah. that's how my son was. He was like... Oversharing. Yes. Yes. Mom, they don't need to know. And and you and I yeah. are like, no, everybody needs to know. <laughs> yes. I made you this badge that you have to wear it every day. I know. You know? Yes, exactly. You and I are laughing, but both of us have children. My child is an adult. Your child is nearing adulthood very soon, mm -hmm. where it will be their own choice to let people know. And I think the biggest fear for us parents is that our children might be someplace where we are not there and something mm -hmm. might happen. And if people don't know they have a heart defect, they might just think, oh, they fell asleep. And we know right. that it could be something so much more serious. 
And I have to say, I've worked with parents for so long, and I really do believe that every parent does the very best they can Absolutely. to do the very best that they are doing for their child. Right? Absolutely. So, and not judging not, in any way. Right. It's but, not that they're not disclosing so that their child can have an incident where they're not treated properly. Right. It's so that right. their child can be treated just like every other child in the classroom without anybody being overprotective or frightened. And I get that. Right. I do get yes. that. But as a teacher, I wonder how many of the kids I taught when I was in the classroom before I had a child of my own with a heart defect who had a heart defect because mm-hmm. I taught children who were deaf and hard of hearing. And yeah. so it's very likely I had one child who was not my student, but I taught in a quad and she was one of my coworkers' students who had WPW, Wolf Parkinson White syndrome. Oh. And so I'm pretty sure that that young lady mm-hmm. had a heart defect, but I don't remember any of us talking about it mm-hmm. then. Of course, that was in the 80s and things are different now. Right. People, I think, are a little bit more aware, are a little bit more accepting. And I do think it's something that even if you want your child to be treated normally, you can say that at the onset. Say to the teacher, I am the parent of a child with a heart defect. Anna, Alex, whatever your child's name is, has a heart defect. And I want my child to be treated just like the other children. But if you see the child is turning blue, if you see the child is acting sleepy, if you see the child is sweating profusely and none of the other kids are sweating, these Mm -hmm. are signs that that child needs to be sent to the nurse immediately with a buddy. They're not to walk Mm -hmm. there by themselves. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Just so that that teacher knows that it's not like the kid is faking it or just so they have a heads up. It's only fair to the teacher. But like you said, it's only fair to the child as well. So after you had Anna, did you then start to recognize maybe some students who you thought, hmm, I wonder if that one has a heart defect? I do think, as you said, things are done differently now than they were in the 80s. And I think just as a culture, I think schools really have a heightened degree of information for kids with all medical needs, Right. right? So now... It's compared to in the early years, I get lots more information about my students before they become my students, just on their emergency forms. So I just think it's kind of built in now that we know more. I know certainly allergies that it can be life-threatening. I know more about kids' early histories than we used to. Like I said before, I think it's really remarkable that in all my years of, of working with young kids, there've really only been two that I've known that have had a heart defect. And I'm hoping I've just been lucky, you know, to <laughs> be around healthy yeah. kids. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just kind of what it comes down to. Obviously, you didn't have a child who passed out in your class. You didn't have any children who right. had any kind of incidents Oh, yeah. Believe me. I send plenty of my students to the nurse, right? Kids have said to me, my heart hurts or I'm breathing quickly. And I send them probably more easily to the nurse Mm -hmm. than other teachers that Mm -hmm. haven't lived what I've lived because not on my watch, right? Right. (laughs) Exactly. Not on my watch. Exactly. I don't understand why all kids don't get the EKG testing, but I've been working with my nurses to get some testing kind of universally, there are some organizations that will bring that to school sites and just do like testing for kids so that we don't have those sudden events where kids have a heart attack on the playing fields and things like that. But there are a lot of kids that are not athletes that don't 
right. get those kind of tests exactly. in their regular physicals, you yeah. know. You're right. You're right. I hadn't really thought about doing an EKG on elementary school children or preschool children, but it's really not that unreasonable. It's a pretty quick test and it won't catch everything, but you stick a pulse ox, you do an EKG. Right. It's non-invasive. That gives you a good mm -hmm. idea anyway. I think those two would be mm -hmm. good non-invasive screening tools mm -hmm. that would take a few minutes. Yes. And would cost a little bit of money. Yes. What mm -hmm. would cost the most, I imagine, would be having the professional look at those EKGs. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But that could potentially be money well spent if you saved one child. Right, right. One child. It would be worth any of that expense. Absolutely. How interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, we need to take a quick break, Marie. But don't leave yet, listeners, because coming up next, we're going to talk to Marie about the early years for her daughter when we return to Heart to Heart with Anna. The most common themes that I hear is why. She always needed um, a lot of attention. She had strokes. Even though it's a natural inclination to withdraw from the CHD community, I think being a part of it to help me be part of the solution. Heart to Heart with Michael. Please join us every Thursday at noon Eastern. I'm Michael Lieben, and I'll be your host as we talk with people from around the world who have experienced those most difficult moments. Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. I think what I love so much about this CD is that some of the songs were inspired by the patients. Many listeners will understand many of the different songs and what they've been inspired by. Our new album will be available on iTunes, Amazon.com, Spotify. I love the fact that the proceeds from this CD are actually going to help those with congenital heart defects. Enjoy the music. Home tonight forever. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show is a Faces of Special Education, and we're here with Marie talking about her experience both as a teacher and a mother of a child with congenital heart defect. So tell us, Marie, after having Anna, did you go right back to work? Well, I did. I had Anna in April, which is the perfect time for a teacher to have a baby. So I had my maternity leave, and then I had the summer, and then in September, Anna was about five months when I was ready to go back to work. Now, when we made our plans before we knew Anna had a heart defect, we always thought that she would go to a big daycare center. I worked in big daycare centers. I liked the checks and balances that were there. I felt like somebody was in charge. Those were all things that provided me comfort, you know, mm -hmm. sending my child to daycare. And then once she was born with her heart defect, our wonderful pediatrician at the time told us, yeah, that's a great plan, but she will never be there because she'll be sick all the time. You need to find other arrangements. Big center is not going to work out for Anna. The first year, we had kind of a perfect scenario where we had three days a week. She went to a family daycare that came very highly recommended, and she was the only baby. And then two days a week, we found a retired NICU nurse who just wanted to make a little extra money, who happened to live near where I taught. Oh, wow. That is perfect. Right? And she was a friend of one of the other teachers in my building. So that was terrific because, and I had a chance to be with other kids. And I know that babies love to see other kids and be involved with lots of other kids, but yet 
not too many, but yet she also had two days where it was all revolved around her and what she needed at the time. She had one heart surgery in the summer, but then she also had another surgery while we were in that kind of split care. It really worked out great for her to have those two caregivers early on. Yeah, that sounds like a really good situation. And it sounds like she thrived. Mm -hmm. So tell me, did she end up in an early childhood program when she was preschool age or before preschool? So that first year she did that split care. And then after that, when she was a toddler, she was in the family daycare five days a week through her second surgery. And then once she got to be three, we sent her to a Montessori school Hmm. from the age three to six. She really did thrive. Like some kids with CHD, she had some gross motor delays primarily. She really was able to work on those skills that she needed to, because in the preschool they had three teachers to 20 kids. So it was a great ratio. That's wonderful. That's a wonderful ratio. Yeah. But they were also very adaptive. For instance, the school was beautiful in this big mill building, but the playground was across a huge parking lot. And so just things you don't think of when you're signing any typical kid up for preschool. I took one look at the parking lot and it was before she had had her fontan. And I looked and I said, well, you know what? There's no way she's going to be able to cross that parking lot and still be able to play. Mm. So they allowed us to actually send a stroller and they would stroll her across the parking lot. I mean, it was a big parking lot. So I did feel like they were really very adaptive for whatever her needs were at the time. They adored her. She actually was invited to one of the preschool teachers' weddings as an Uh eight-year-old. Yeah. And she, there were no other kids there. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, so she's so she really wrapped that teacher around her little finger, didn't she? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Anna had gross motor delays, but there was not a single delay in her verbal IQ, that's for sure. She has always been very charming. Her teachers have always loved her, so Well, and she's an only child, if I'm not mistaken, because you yes. didn't mention any other children in your bio. No, so absolutely. She's plenty. She has been plenty for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about the adaptation. So she She was in a Montessori program, which sounds like it was not in a public school setting. So, right. And that was just until kindergarten. She did kindergarten in the Montessori school. And then in first grade, she went to public school. Okay. So when did she have her 504 plan? So we set up the 504 plan before she started school. It must have been when I registered. We had a meeting, if I remember correctly, before school even started to set up the 504 plan. Okay, so you and I, since we're special ed teachers, 504 means something to us, but some of our listeners may be parents of babies who don't have a degree in special ed. So can you explain for those listeners what 504 means? Absolutely. So a 504 plan is put in place when a child has a medical need or diagnosis that doesn't necessarily impact their learning in school, but yet it needs to be documented and there needs to be a plan in place. For Anna, it was in case of some cardiac event. It listed signs to look out for, lips that don't go away, heavy breathing, as you said earlier, sweating, things like that. It also listed that she needs to be given breaks with any kind of physical activity, including recess in gym. We definitely wanted her to be included in PE class, but yet wanted her to be able to self-monitor and take breaks when she wanted and get water, access to water, Mm -hmm. which every kid should have, but more so when you have a heart defect. And so for, I would say the first two years that was put in place 
for her in terms of a 504. There was a time that the school contacted me. They were changing all the 504s. They were taking kids off 504s and putting them on a medical protocol. Right. And and I said, well, you know what? I don't care what you call it. As long as it's, <laughs> I don't care what you call the piece of paper or the form, as right. long as it has this information. I actually went ahead and I put another document together with Anna's picture with all the same information. We had a medical ID bracelet at the time. So it had that on it, all of our medicines, things like that. And I said, listen, I want you to give this to every paraprofessional in the building that Good. might be out at recess. Right. I want people to know her by face. Mm-hmm. So that way, if there was something going on, she had plenty of people that could get her to the nurse's office. Well, great. That's a perfect place for us to take a quick break. Don't leave yet, listeners, because when Marie comes back, we're going to talk to her about the difference between a 504 plan and a medical health plan and an IEP. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. When I saw so many of these CHG groups growing, I found family just ready to join me. Anyone who is a member of the adult congenital heart defect community can be a guest on our show. We have a great year planned and we look forward to sharing other interesting topics. Heart to Heart with Nicole and David, serving the ACHD community, Wednesdays at noon Eastern. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show is the Faces of Special Education, and I've been having a blast talking with Marie O'Donnell, who is a special education teacher and a heart mother to Anna, who was born with hypoplastic left heart syndrome. So we've been talking about Anna's 504 plan and her health directive. And now we have a few minutes left in segment three. And I really want to talk a little bit more about, first of all, the difference between a 504 plan, a health directive, and an IEP. So can you explain the differences between those three different types of documents, Marie? Absolutely. So an IEP is put in place in terms of kids, heart warriors, when kids have a medical condition that does impact their learning. So for Anna, in around second grade, I believe, is when we finally got her official diagnosis for ADHD. That was what qualified her for special education services. And at the time, her IEP talked about helping her with organization. She was in second grade. So her goals and her needs have changed dramatically all through the years. In fact, it's so great that I can't even actually remember what those were early on because wow. those goals were early on. I know because you think <laughs> it's such a terrible, it's such a stressful time mm-hmm. for parents and it can be all consuming. And yeah. then to think if I could have told myself then that someday I would forget <laughs> what the struggles were that she had. It was interesting, actually, my early navigation to the special ed program, even though I was a teacher and had been on the teacher side of the table for a long time, I actually teach in a different state that we live. So I teach in Massachusetts, and it turns out that the laws are different in Massachusetts versus New Hampshire. Oh, wow. Yeah. So one thing that came up for me 
as soon as her first grade teacher started talking about her not sitting at circle and having difficulty focusing and finishing her work and things like that, those were all big red flags for me. Sure. I was ready to jump right on board and get her diagnosed right away. But the doctors, of course, were a little more hesitant because of her cardiac background. So one thing I thought was, well, maybe there's something else impacting. Maybe it's not ADHD. Maybe it's another learning disability that could be impacting. So I put in for a request for a full evaluation. And in Massachusetts, if you put in a request, then a parent has the right to make that request and it's automatically honored. In New Hampshire, it was totally different. So Anna was at the time getting good grades in second grade. So they were like, she doesn't need an evaluation. We're not going to do an evaluation. So then it kind of threw a monkey wrench in my plan. (laughs) I was like, huh, okay. Well, so it's important, I think, for parents to know the laws, to do a little research themselves, to find out what your rights are as a parent ahead of time, because it would have saved me a lot of steps. But in the end, we got a medical diagnosis and that changed her 504 to an IEP and put into place the supports that she needed to function in her classroom. So Marie, you and I have an education background. And so for us, finding out the laws may not be that challenging. But for a parent who doesn't have an education background, where would they look to find out what the law is in their state regarding special education for their children? I think I would start at the school district's website. There's always a tab for education services. They might be called different things. Student support services, maybe. There should be a link on that page to get you to a place where it said that it's parents' rights. Friendly Google is always helpful too. I don't know Mm -hmm. how we survive without Google. I know, right? (laughs) It's really such an important resource, my goodness. It is an important resource, yeah. And that's another great way that you can do it is just Google Massachusetts, Texas, New Hampshire, wherever you are, special education rights or parent rights, something like that. Yep. So do you think you were at a distinct advantage then because you did have that background in early childhood as far as being an advocate for Anna? Yes. I mean, there's no question because I knew the questions to ask. I had seen so many IEPs written. I know what the goals should say. And and so, yeah. So, I mean, my advice to parents that don't have an education background would be to find a friend who's a teacher, you know. Right. Or another heart parent whose child has had an IEP so they can find out, well, what kind of things do you even put on an IEP? Yes. I often share Anna's goals from her IEP with other parents so that other kids can get the same supports that we've been able to get for Anna. The other thing is it's important to keep in mind that that support changes throughout the child's span of schooling. Correct. What was in place at elementary school was completely different. By the time she got to middle school, she actually ended up having a para with her. There was a time when, because of another medical issue, Anna had anxiety that rendered her immobile. And so she was walking with a walker when she went to middle school and she had a paraprofessional on board. Once we were able to help her with her anxiety, she no longer needed the walker. And so the para stayed with Anna, though, because of her level of anxiety and her level of ADHD. Trying to navigate middle school with seven teachers is really challenging. 
It's, it a, is a big it's a big change, and so much more is expected of children when they are in middle school versus when they are in elementary school or early childhood. So you're right. And one thing that parents who are not teachers may not know is that this Individualized Education Plan, or IEP, as we keep talking about, and a 504 plan or a health directive, every year should be revisited. Absolutely. And for some children, they have even more frequent than that what we call ARDs. So can you tell us what an ARD is? Actually, you know what? I'm not familiar with that acronym, Oh, Anna. Arrival, Review, Dismissal is what it stands for. Oh. Right? But that's the annual meeting. That's what we call okay, it we here in Texas. We so maybe you guys don't use that term up there. <laughs> we don't. We don't. But we do have annual reviews of our IEPs. And then we also, every three years, the child is retested, reevaluated. Mm-hmm. We just call them annual reviews. <laughs> so I kind of like that they have the D in there, Marie, because... You would like to think eventually your child will be dismissed from this special education setting, even though we know some children won't. But that is part of that review process is, does this child still need these services? And that's important to talk about too, Anna, because I do think that there is a mindset that, okay, my child's been diagnosed with having special needs. I'm going to advocate for my child and I want all the services that could possibly be provided. And we really need to individualize for each child and goes against your parental instinct to give up services for your child because we just think services help, right? But it is really important to look at that individually. In Anna's case, for instance, when she transferred from middle school to high school, what high schooler wants an adult following them around all day, right? Nobody, nobody wants that. You know, and that was tricky for Anna to navigate socially, even through middle school. So by the time Anna got to high school, we were able to phase out the paraprofessional, even though in my heart, I wish she still had that paraprofessional because it's a lot. Given her level of ADHD and her lack of executive functioning skills, she could really use an adult to keep track of all of her assignments and things, but it wasn't right for her. So did she, oh, okay. So the paraprofessional also took notes on what her homework was. Absolutely. Yeah. Really helped to manage all of the expectations, all of the assignments, um, made sure she had all the books she needed to take home with her. She Mm. was like a secretary, kind of. Yeah, right. It sounds like she almost had her own personal secretary. Yeah, and it helped a lot. That's amazing. Don't we all wish we had a para with us? (laughs) I wish I had a para with me every day. (laughs) Right. Okay, so was Anna at her, you don't call them art, but was she at her annual meeting? Yes. In New Hampshire, by law, at age 14, the child is involved in the meeting. I remember her being there probably even before that, though, because I think the school requested. Right. So I think for seventh and eighth grade meetings, and then now throughout the high school meetings, she's there. And there's a specific form in her IEP. They interview Anna in talking about her life goals, her short-term goals, she participates in that process of writing the goals, setting the benchmarks, yeah. and all of that. I think which that's really so is... important, don't you? Absolutely. I think that yes, helps her, her to accountable. know this is what we're shooting for. This is why this lady is with me all day long, or gentleman, right. is with me right, all day right, right. long. And also to know, you know what, most of the other kids don't have this. But this is why I have it. You have enough adults there talking to her to help her understand why it is she needs this extra person. 
Right. And you know, I also found one other side benefit of having Anna present at the meeting. The professionals that were sitting around the table all working to help her, it helped to keep a very positive spin to things. Yeah. Because I think too often we can forget that kids for the most part, are doing the best they can. And even if they're not living up to their potential, there's a roadblock that's happening that holds them back, right? So we as professionals and parents need to keep that positive spin so that kids can be encouraged to keep working and keep trying. And so that was something that I really noticed, that it really did change the tone Absolutely. So you really have seen all the different faces of special education being not only the educator and then being Mm -hmm. the parent, but now kind of seeing the whole process through your daughter's eyes. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today, Marie. I know that this podcast is going to help other parents who have heart warriors who may need a 504 plan or a health directive or an IEP, and now they know the difference. Absolutely. Anytime you need help, I'm always here for you, Anna. So thanks for all you do, too. Well, thank you, Marie. This has been so much fun. So that does conclude this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today. Please come back next week on Tuesday at noon Eastern time or anytime after that. Podcasts are always available once they're broadcast. Until then, please find and follow our radio show on YouTube. You can find my channel just by looking for my name, Anna Jaworski, J-A-W-O-R-S-K-I. And remember, my friends, you are not alone. Heart to Heart with Anna is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.congenitalheartdefects.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time.